Hello, this is Samuel Hansen. You are listening to Combination Ben Permutations, Episode 10. On this week's episode, we discuss a Lego difference engine, the game Hex, and why I refuse to play checkers. Here it goes. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the math podcast uh, that comes from CDC Building 7's mailroom. I've said that a million times. Well, nine times previous to this. Uh, so I guess it's not a million or actually anywhere near. But then there were the times where you uh, effed up and had to redo. That that is, that is completely true. We have had to re-record intros a few times for this podcast. And that voice you heard is our returning guest of the week. And it's Nathan Rowe. And since we don't have any other returning guests, he's finally coming off of the bench. All right, I get to play. (laughs) And we have a very uh, special guest today. As a matter of fact, the first time that we have uh, someone who can actually properly call themselves a mathematician instead of a grad student, and that is Dr. Douglas Burke. Very glad to be here. Yeah, and uh, so as per usual, uh, we will start off with some sort of topic that somehow relates to math. And our topic for this week is math as play. So, I mean, the, the general idea of, of math as play is, you know, not necessarily approaching it as a as a job, as a something that you are working at, but approaching it more, you know, like you're playing around in the sandbox of, you know, mathematical things. You're, you're a little bored one day, so you just write up a little problem and start working on that to uh, pass time and have a good time. Or, there. I mean, even more specifically, the guys who built a working version of Babbage's Difference Engine out of Legos. What? Yeah. Babbage. Babbage's Difference Engine. I don't know what this is, actually. The the Difference Engine. Remember, it was the follower of the Step Reckoner? Oh. The the official (laughs) official early computational device of combinations and permutations, the Step Reckoner. Uh, But Babbage, I mean, it was the beginning of computers, essentially. But he never finished the Difference Engine. But recently, somebody did build a complete Difference Engine out of Legos, and it worked. Okay, um, and and they added seven and three or something. Oh, it's something like that. I'm sure they. You can do slightly more uh, <laughs> uh, strenuous math on uh, a difference engine, but yeah, I mean they they, they literally built it out of Legos. Well, that's, Legos that's, to me. That's more engineering. Um, but I mean, it's as play, not. Math but it's as engineering play. as play. But it's still. I mean, it was created as a you know tool to help with mathematics. Well, at least with arithmetic. Yeah, I guess. Um, and sure. and Legos to me have always seemed to be a very mathematical thing. And you have these blocks, they only fit together in a certain way. And yet you can build almost anything with them. I, I love Legos. <laughs> I'm really like, I'm I'm still very sad that I threw away. I, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened to my Legos, but I'm, they no longer are in my possession. 
So at some point, they either had to be given to Goodwill or thrown Oh, I, I, I have the exact same problem. I used to have this enormous collection of Legos. My Lego collection was like, well into the you know tens of thousands of pieces. And I stopped playing with them at some point in my life, uh, probably about the time that I realized I could play video games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then a decade or so later, I realized... Why are those Legos? I want to play with Legos so badly. I just want to build something instead of playing around in these worlds that have already been built. And I, they were gone. They were completely gone. And it's a mystery to me as to what happened to them. But a little bit more closely related with the uh, actual topic, I'm going to bring up this case of uh, a new school. Not not new math. Don't worry about that. But it. A completely new I school. I grew up with new math. That's how I, I learned math. But what was new math like? Well, for us, it was, um, you know, we had a, a wall of booklets, and you, you know, you, you went at your own pace. That's the main thing I remember. And I just, you know, I just started grabbing the booklets <laughs> and working through them. Well, I, I thought I think, it was great. I remember in first grade or, or something like that, there was a wall of booklets for learning to read. Um and I remember, I remember getting kind of far and then getting frustrated because they got more difficult. So instead, so, <laughs> so just went back to, the, <laughs> so easy went back to the easy ones and tried to see how quickly I could read the first book. And of course, you know, you memorize it after three tries. But I was so proud of myself being able to flip those pages so quick. And like, An apple. Falls. <laughs> well, there's this, there's this new school. It's uh, going to be in District Two of New York City, I believe. And it's it's called Quest to Learn, and it's and the tagline of the school. I mean, this this school is being very well marketed. It even has a tagline. It's called the School for Digital Kids, and the whole idea is is that it's going to be a school pretty much run by game designers, as far as I can tell. So it's they're going to be trying to bring a, a game design perspective into the school. And if you uh, there's a little write up on their webpage, and it's. Uh, one of the questions is, what is an integrated curriculum and what are domains? Because if you look at their curriculum, they actually, they like the sixth grade curriculum and uh, fall 2009 oh, is going to be the... What grades does the school teach? It's going to be six through 12. The first okay. year that it's going to happen is going to be next year and they're only going to have a sixth grade. They're going to start them out at sixth grade, build it up to oh, through okay. 12. So, so this isn't going to be one where you're going to transfer and you're going to okay. start and stick with them. And the sixth grade curriculum sounds like this. There's uh, three main domains. There's the way things work, which is a math science domain, a being space and place, which is a social studies and English language arts domain, and a code world, which is a math and English language arts domain. And so the write-up about what these are, are at Quest, students learn standards-based content within classes that we call domains. Domains organize disciplinary knowledge 21st century ways around big ideas that require expertise in two or more subjects. Okay. And so they talk about the way things work. It's integrated math and science class organized around the idea of design and engineering, taking systems apart, putting them back together again. And then the code world's domain, which is the one that I really wish I had in sixth grade, is an integrated English language arts, math, and computer programming class organized around the idea of symbolic systems, language, syntax, and grammar. Yeah. So they're going to be teaching these kids, like, I don't know, finite automata languages well, in I sixth mean, grade? It, it, like, if you think about I think that I think that um, 
computer science uh, programming is it ought to be ought to be a required course in high school, just as required as government or and, something. Because, well, I I really agree, and there's nothing quite like play and programming. That's true. That's and, true. Programming as play is something I have definitely done. <laughs> <laughs> so you get definite feedback. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it works. It doesn't work. And you can fix it. And you can really, I, I think you could really teach math through that. Definitely. Because, yeah. yeah. I mean, computers and math are rather integrated in general. Growing up, I, I never once studied for, I never once studied for a math class. Um, what I, but one thing I did that was kind of close to studying is, like, I would take, you know, we just learned Newton's method or something in calculus. I would write a program where you input into, into you input, a function you input its derivative because the calculator couldn't derive functions for you um, and then uh, it will perform Newton's method for you over and over and, and you know you every time you hit enter it spits out a new iteration and by the time I'd written the program I knew everything you know, yeah I, I knew it. and so writing the program requires a deep understanding and also it requires an understanding of the programming language and, yeah and uh, and it's it, I mean, it's very, it's very playful, but I think that, that you can really make it more. So I, I remember as a, as a child, I was raised by a former high school math teacher, and uh, my father, when he would teach, was he was a very play-oriented teacher, and one of, the, I mean, some of his favorite things to do, uh, an old game called Hex. I don't know if you've ever seen Hex, no. but it's, it's this uh, chart of hexagons that are all put together. It looks kind of like a beehive. And what you do is you try to, uh, you, one person will go horizontally and vertically, the other person will go, uh, or one person will go vertically, one person will go horizontally, and your, your goal is to get from one end to the other, and the other, I mean, and whichever person can do it. And he would, he would show that in a math class to, you know, show the various different, you know, techniques and problem solving skills. And another one of his favorite things was a topic that we recently covered on this podcast, which was the four color theorem. Is uh, I, I and you tell that to a group of high school students, they're going to spend the next couple of days playing around with maps, trying to prove that you're wrong. That's that's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Once I had a psychology teacher who gave us who gave us um, it was essentially a graph. There are six houses, and in the center of the six houses, there's there's three um, three sources of power or something. You know, one is one is water, one is electricity, and one is heat or something or gas and you have to in a flat world um, make every one of the six houses uh, get all get all three things um, oh, okay yeah and and you know, it's impossible because lines and you can't cross lines without, so you know, without it's a planarity lines. test right um, and, and it's impossible but uh, I didn't know it was impossible and, <laughs> and our psychology teacher gave it to the gave it to us just to um, get at obsession or something like that. <laughs> uh, didn't tell us until the end of the semester that it wasn't possible. Oh. He told us whoever solves it will get a hundred percent in the class. <laughs> period. End of story. Um, and he told us that one of the students from his AP course uh, solved it after a couple days. Oh, <laughs> so he told, <laughs> oh uh, yeah. And did did he say at the end of the semester when he told you was uh, anyone who refused to put this down go enroll in a bunch of math classes? That's what you're going to need to do for the rest of your life. Well, I mean, I guess at that age, attacking it wasn't like it wasn't intelligent attacking, you know. So it wasn't it wasn't showing whether or not I could do math. I was, you know, just just trying over and over and over and over. I never I never once. I mean, 
I never once suspected it was impossible. Well, maybe I did. I don't know. Um, and so, so I ne- instead of trying to prove that it wasn't possible, I well, you wouldn't you wouldn't suspect it since the teacher told you that somebody had solved it. Yeah, but he's not a very trusted. This teacher, I don't know. <laughs> he was my he was also the cross country coach, so he would like play. Lie he would he would he would you know play around with the students and and. Uh, so if you gave him a proof that it was impossible, he would have given you an A. You think? Probably not. Well, Probably he, he should have. He should. And he should that's well, a solution. Yeah. Well, no, he, fine. Like, I think that when he when he said it, he meant he meant anyone who connects to all the houses um, gets an A <laughs> in the class. Um, well, they get an A in the class and an A in quantum mechanics <laughs> because they found a way to curve things around without crossing. Yeah. Okay. To introduce a third dimension into a two-dimensional world. Oh, they'll have the same cardinality. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you can do it. <laughs> and and so getting back to uh, I mean to what I was talking about earlier with my dad, I, he would he would create games for me to play when I was when I was quite young, and they they're all math based. They were, a lot of them were just uh, you know arithmetic games. But I mean, I it was something, especially since I was introduced to it at a very young age, that I found incredibly fun to do. And you know, when your when your father challenges you to multiply two three-digit numbers in your head when you're about four or five years old, you become very good at multiplication. That's that's true. And and um, when you're a, when you're a child, some things are fun simply because. Um, you get you get the approval of a parent or something like that. Yeah, and so you have fun just attempting to please your parents. And so yeah, you can but turn I mean, math into something fun. Yeah, and it's and play tends to center around you know seeking enjoyment. At least to me, the idea of playing around is, you know, you're it's something that I'm doing in order to find enjoyment without necessarily gaining some sort of other thing out of it. Some other you know. The extra, you know, worldly, you know, I'm not getting necessarily getting money for it. I'm not getting the praise of my peers, or I'm not getting something. I'm yeah. not producing something. I mean, recently, by doing it, it seems like uh, the purpose of my play has been to to uh, seek aggravation. And <laughs> <laughs> whatever I, whatever I, try, it just it just ends up it just get, ends up becoming annoying because <laughs> you know you you set out to try to something or like I'm playing halo or something like that and then and you realize you're not very good well, well no I'm, I'm fine it's just i'm not the best and and it's you know i'm not it's just sometimes well you yeah, just have to play turns into and it, not and not so much fun well and through the through the multiplication games that say my father played with me i actually developed certain uh certain techniques that i mean i later on found that there are techniques that were have been employed for a very long time by people who do mental arithmetic but I mean, I was developing them on my own around four or five years old, such as the uh, multiplication by nine rule. You just multiply by ten, subtract the number. And I just and right. I, I was I was spinning back that nine the multiples of nine really quickly to my father once. He's like, "How are you doing it that quickly?" And I just told him, "Well, all I have to do is you know multiply you know multiply it by ten, yeah, add a zero and subtract the number." He's like, "You just came up with that on your own?" I'm like, "Yeah, I was just you know." Playing around with it one day in my head. Application of the distributive properties. Because <laughs> oh. ten minus one. Yeah, it's... yeah. I, 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 I understand the <laughs> There are uh, there are a lot of like, um, 
I tutored someone in the teaching mathematics course that, that they have here. And the teaching mathematics course is really weird because they teach you basic set theory and things like that. And, and the teacher of the course only teaches you the math that you're supposed to be teaching to these six-year-olds or whatever. Um, and, but then if you read the book itself, the book is about teaching how to teach this stuff. But then you're only tested on being able to do the math itself, which was kind of, I don't know, ridiculous. But you know, they, they, were, they were trying to get at um, how can you easily multiply these numbers and these numbers uh, using distributive property. And, and I had to try to teach someone how to come up with new rules like this, how to use the distributive property to make multiplication easier. Um, and they were struggling with it so much at age Twenty-something. So, I mean, you you've been at this whole you know teaching and doing math thing uh, for a while longer than either Nathan or I have been. So I mean, uh, what evidence of math is math as play have I mean has shown up for you? In terms of teaching, I'm not sure how much, <laughs> uh, but just the math I do, it's it's all play. It seems. I mean, is there math you do that you think of as not play? Uh, no, I Any, specifically. For a course. Uh, yeah, well, uh, there, there is that. There, there are some courses which, of course, I will not name uh, and let go into the ether. Uh, that have that have definitely been work, okay. and there, there are courses. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of analysis. I've never, I've never tried to well, state that I was. And, and a lot of times yeah. that feels to me like work. But I, I do uh, graph theory stuff, uh -huh. uh, and that is pure yep. play. There's nothing quite like just randomly labeling the edges of some graph and seeing if they all add to the same thing. It's very, very playful. But I, I, do you have any specific examples of, of a moment or anything like that? Or um, let's see. I have kids. I mean, so that thinking. I mean, you're talking about how you learn this. I mean, so I try and do this with my kids, and and some things catch on. You know, but other times I, I try to suggest these, you know, playful rules. You know, but they don't uh, they don't like to do it. They, you know, the teacher told them to do it this way. Oh yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna keep going. Um, but for me, I mean, just you know, all the courses I've taken, even if I didn't like it, I made it into a game and analysis. I I played the game algebra. I played the game. There are most most courses I find something to something to enjoy out of it, and then and then I'll I'll either I, a lot of times if I can't find a way to turn it into a game, I will get a zero on a, on an assignment, <laughs> uh, which happens more than it, that's the only reason I didn't get all A's is because sometimes I fail to find a game. Um, but uh, yeah, so so most of the time I could find it, but uh, you find some way to, to make it fun. There are there are some classes I just don't don't enjoy, um, and the bad part is they're required courses, so it's <laughs> no way out. Um, the one thing that that's definitely I mean, like the the math itself is fun, but uh, if you want to publish, you have to write it up, and writing it up is work, and I can't find a way to turn that fun. I can't. I tried. I tried <laughs> to find a way to to write up proofs and have it still be fun. See, I I've found a couple of ways. The problem is, is that when they're done, they very rarely stand up to rigor after I've had fun writing them. <laughs> like you know, I I end up turning into some fictional story, and I I embed the proof in it. The proof is there. Uh, it's just apparently you can't really extract it 
back out. <laughs> I mean, there's and there's some people. I mean, some people who aren't even mathematicians who definitely have fun playing around with math. And the one that I think of, I believe we've mentioned his name a couple times on this podcast already, would be uh, Neil Stevenson, the fiction author, and I mean, the author of I mean, most notably known for Snow Crash. And that that was his cryptonomicon. Well, the one I knew him for first. Snow Crash is the most well known of his works, yeah. but. Uh, later on, he started writing like, a little bit more serious than Snow Crash. Uh, and the first one that really pops out is Cryptonomicon, which, if you take that first part, crypto is a large part of what the book is, is cryptology. And he plays around with the math some in there, but he really starts to get into it a lot more when he wrote the Baroque Trilogy, which is a odd fictional retelling of the Leibniz-Newton uh, fight. But his most recent book is called Anathem, which is... I mean, it's literally a book about monks, but instead of studying religion, they're mathic monks. They sit around, they're monks who do math, that's all that they do. And he literally embeds uh, some proofs, some, uh, it proves not necessarily, uh, not necessarily fully mathematical in their, in their ideas. Some of them are, you know, math philosophy type things, platonic solid uh, ideas and things like that. But he loves playing around with it and, and reading it. You you get the sense that you can write something up uh, in a way that it can be fun to write as well as, you know, fun to do the work behind it. I mean, so you can sometimes turn, turn like, you can you can know something's true and the game is finding the proof. Or, or you can know, you can have a proof and the game is making it, you know, readable or legible or something like that, understandable. Um sometimes sometimes it's it's understandable the way it is and uh, <laughs> and you just don't want to have to type it up or you know write it in nice handwriting um, yeah but, yeah yeah well one, one example I mean, that, that was your that was your whole idea behind the uh visual proof website wasn't it it, it wasn't even yeah. that you thought it would be a better way of of displaying I, it, no, a you, couple you of remember... a couple of ep- episodes ago he uh we're on the episode that we talked about the four color theorem because of the computational proof that was necessary for it the idea of uh, you know various places like Archivex, which is the uh, the place where you can publish papers for free, they're oh, yeah. they're not mm-hmm. really peer reviewed, but mm-hmm. uh, people will knock down bad ones pretty quickly that go up there. Uh, and the idea that Nathan had was actually just a place where you just take a video of you proving something, and then you don't even have to write it up. Um, I, I think I told you about that idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I still think it's a fine idea because it it eliminates the work <laughs> <laughs> well there's uh there's another person uh, actually a, a well-known mathematician who who loves to uh, uh view math in this way and that's uh marcus Dusatoy. do you know marcus Dusatoy at all i don't think so okay he's uh he's an english mathematician probably uh the the second most famous lo- living english mathematician right now uh, he wrote who would be most famous uh this person who uh it, it's not really a mathematician but a uh, a uh, arithmetician she runs or ran a uh some sort of a game show that was involved doing uh mental arithmetic which is i think okay. a fantastic idea because they should you know invite more you know mathematicians on that show we need to supplement our incomes these days. Everybody needs to supplement their incomes. But Marcus Dusatoya, uh, he recently wrote uh, he wrote he recently wrote a book that I don't know the title of. But the book he had written before that was uh, 
refer was not referred to as well i mean you can refer to it as it as well but the actual title of the book was uh, the music of primes just on the riemann hypothesis and it he writes in an incredibly engaging way uh without getting rid of the complexity of the topic which is i mean it's a certain skill that you need but he is currently the the simani professor of public understanding of science in the uk which is uh, a huge position he uh picked it up after Richard Dawkins vacated it. So, okay. I mean, he's he's taken, I mean, he's stepping into rather big shoes after Dawkins anyway. And, but he has been known a lot to, uh, to talk about math in this way. He recently had a four-part BBC special on, uh, on something about, it. the title was something, the maths. It's like, <laughs> the, in, in England, they were, it's not, it's not math. It's not mathematics. It's the maths. You're studying maths, oh, really? the plural okay. of math, All right. which makes You're sense. I mean, English math is not math know. is not one thing. I mean, you work in set theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are currently working in elliptic curves or K three surfaces. You're going to say number theory, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the number theory. I do you work in graph theory. I mean, we're we're all in different maths, so I mean, it it makes sense. And plus, it's more fun to say. But a, a quote from uh, Dusatoy is. A lot of people, especially in England, they say, oh, I hated maths. I don't have a maths brain. And I think uh, some people are born with an inability to do maths, and particularly, and actually I think that's, and a lot of people think that, and I particularly think that's completely false. Just judging distances, being able to do geometry, if you want to attack something, you need to know about distances, relative distances. Now that is the moment that I can pounce. As a footballer, you're trying to get in line with an incoming free kick. Wayne Rooney is subconsciously solving a quadratic equation every time he works out where to stand in the box. That doesn't mean he can do it on paper, and I'm sure he's probably forgotten how to. But the point is, our brains are evolutionarily programmed to do it. And so the idea that he really tries to push is that we all have the ability to do math. And it's there, we just have to figure out some way of bringing it out. And and in England, obviously, talking about Wayne Rooney is a fantastic way to convince people to you know, to study math. I mean, if, if people think that they're more likely to get a header on goal, if they can do the math, I mean, that's a game that they all definitely like playing. Because it's a good game. Well, yeah, of course <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it's it's the beautiful game, specifically. I mean, they, they call it that. And, and there is a, I mean, I watch a huge amount of soccer, way more than it's probably entirely healthy for a single person. I, and there is there is a lot of math, and in watching the people, you know, run around and and go to town, uh, but and there's I mean, there's more. I mean, there's obviously a certain intuition to it as well. I mean, there's just a huge amount of different ways, and I, I just don't feel that that we're quite uh, quite talking about some of the games that that we could be doing. I mean, there's a lot of things that about math that I think are played that mathematicians feel our play that we cannot properly seem to uh, convince other people are <laughs> yeah that's true that's true um, yeah I, I, I've a couple I've a couple times um, uh, kind of stole away like people were people were off to go do something fun and I was like oh I gotta go do homework or something like that and then I'd go <laughs> And I mean, I, I I'd go and like do research with the with what I've been doing with Dr. Berger or something like that because it's it's actually you know a lot of fun. I was tired of of hanging out and playing 
playing video games. I wanted to go go have some fun and yeah. <laughs> work on uh, work on a math problem. Well, and of course, there's always. I know a lot of times you you play a game. I mean, you play a game for the enjoyment of the game, but you also play the game for the enjoyment of the conclusion. And with video games, it's very easy to see it. I mean, because you tend to get to the end and there's something there. Um, and I mean, say with Math Blaster, the old uh, arithmetic video game, I mean, you, you were kept on trying to, like, save people or get away from something. And, I, and I so Math Blaster is still around. Yes, it is. It is? Yeah, you, Math Blaster is still around. I haven't heard of it. Okay. So, math, math Blaster is, uh, I mean, back, did, back did in the Windows 95 like, days, it was, it was big. Uh, did they release, like, Math Blaster 7 or something? And, oh, man, I... It's got... You know, <laughs> hardcore three-dimensional graphics, and there's <laughs> you have to solve uh, three-dimensional equations now in order Ooh. to move anywhere. <laughs> and so, I mean, there was there's always the I mean, the the solution there, but I mean, for mathematicians, the solution to the game just tends to be this eureka moment. It's a moment where you're like, oh, I get it. That's really hard to convince other people. Well, one of its existence, and two, and how good it actually feels when you when you achieve it. Some people just don't like playing these math games. I mean, it's hard to convince them of anything. It's it's all work. I think they just, you I, know, they. I mean, I I think that maybe it's just like they've trained themselves to think of it as work. Yeah. Um. I, there, there's probably some way to hide the math. So that so that well, math game. Of course, there is. Have you? Uh, we just talked about Sudoku. Sudoku. Yeah. Well, however you pronounce it, uh, Sudoku. I think so. Okay. Oh, that's that's a math game. It. it I mean, <laughs> very. Yeah, I mean, not, it's what a not, Latin, essentially a Latin square game. Like you're you're not adding and subtracting, but you are doing mathematics. You're. It's yeah. It's definitely. That's a good example for sure. But I think Mine. some people hate, would never play that. Oh, I, I hate it. You I hate refuse it? to play that game. How about, how about Minesweeper? Uh, <laughs> the, the reason I refuse to play Sudoku, uh, it very specifically, is that there is a solution. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a combinatorial game. Yeah. It, 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 it is, and there exists a solution for it. If you feed it into a computer, it, and somebody solved it using Excel, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was an odd use of Excel, yeah. I thought. But... If, if you input the basics of any Sudoku and you put it into the computer, it'll just spit out the answer. Checkers is no longer fun for me because it's been solved, too. Well, that, that's just stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just like that, that a computer knows how to play the perfect game doesn't mean the game itself isn't fun anymore. Like, but technically, I could just learn the algorithm and... So... so if if there was even even the slightest bit of like random chance like like in risk there's quite possibly a perfect strategy but because there's rolling dice well no and so there can't be because so you're there, there, there in... can't there can't be and so because of that oh that, i love risk i'll keep playing risk forever <laughs> it just seems like it just seems like uh, i mean if someone found the perfect strategy you could still beat the perfect strategy sometimes but it would have been pure luck uh, and that would uh, well, I, I mean, you, you would you wouldn't have the with risk, you wouldn't have the perfect strategy though. You'd have the optimal strategy, the strategy that is most likely to win over a long run of games. In checkers, you literally can't lose if you play the strategy. Right, but the, the strategy is massive. <laughs> so it's important that it's known. Like so, thirty years ago, 
checkers would have been interesting to you? Oh yeah, because because you would have been able to play it from a or you would have been able to play it from a mathematical perspective okay. with some sort of end game in mind in okay. from math. Just like chess, there still is. Even yeah, though there is a strategy, there but is no one's. It's not the. It's not one that will always win. There is one that will always win. There, right? In chess, I did not believe that there was. I mean, I don't think anyone knows one of, it. One of oh, the... oh the, no, no, there is one. Yeah, but, I mean, it, nobody it has found it. Right. Oh, I'm not. I'm not arguing the existence. It, yeah. I mean, of course, it exists. There's. There exists a perfect way to play Go too. Mm -hmm. it, but... I mean, because they're they're <laughs> perfect two player perfect information combinatorial games. Half the, of... it, there is there exists a strategy. But half I of love the idea of playing the game to find it. Yeah, okay, all right, but there, there's like, there's like, there's, I mean, math, math splits up in a bunch of ways, but there's constructive mathematics and there's non-constructive mathematics. So in non-constructive mathematics, well, so you're clearly a constructive mathematician. If it, I, I, <laughs> I label graphs. Yeah, okay, right, <laughs> right. So, so you would, you would get nothing out of proving something exists unless you find it. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I do get get things out of that. I mean, I, I did that for, I did a, I, in graph theory, I tend to do a little bit of a combination because a lot of times you have to build up some sort of a base case. You have to, you know, show right. that you can do it. And the work I was doing with labeling, uh, the proofs were tended to be done by induction. So we needed that base case. I need to construct something. But then after that, it was not really constructive. I would just kind of, state well you do this you insert this and then that obviously exists okay but it's it's a little bit different because it's a that's it's I mean, a semi-constructivist usually induct inductive proofs are are considered constructive okay like, well yeah, then so, sure so long as i do i use, do constructive so long as you don't use the axiom of choice <laughs> it's it's choice that kills construction for the most part i don't know i, I don't know i mean uh do you deal with all finite graphs? Yeah, these. Your, yeah, finite. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, working on planar graphs right now. Uh, uh, I still have to d finish work on double wheels. I've done wheels, fans, double fans. Now I need to do double wheels and uh, grid graphs. I've done. What is a double? Does it look like a bicycle? No, no, not at all. Uh, it, or or does it look like a pair of you glasses, take... like three circles <laughs> and a line between? No, them no, no. You take. You're gonna take two <laughs> CNs, so two cycles of order n. And you're going to take a K1 graph. So you have C1 union C1 plus K1. So that means you, the, uh, well, not union C, I'm not entirely sure how to notate that. But the C, the, the CNs are disjoint. They, they don't connect directly. They don't, they don't, oh, they're they're independent. They're independent of one another. They do not connect directly. Uh -huh. But K1, the K1 connects to every single other vertex. So from any oh. vertex on either cycle, What's there is K a path. K1 is just a, K1, a line? What's K1? K1 is a, a single, single vertex. A single, single vertex. vertex that's, yeah. that's connected so to the complete graph of order okay. one. I see. I see. Yeah, and then, it, and then since I'm adding that on, since it's a complete graph, it has to connect to every other vertex. Oh, oh I see. And then if you, if you have all of one so, wheel sum to zero, it forces the K to be something? Oh, no, just saying. Did I just? I think I just defined a completely new graph. Oh, I did. Wow. <laughs> I'll probably have to work on that one now too. Yeah, that was see, and yeah. just just playing around in a podcast. I find new things to prove. Nice. No, it's uh, <laughs> no a uh, double wheel is uh, C N plus K one plus K one. 
So it's WN. It's the wheel graph that you saw me working with. Yeah, so you know yeah, you, yeah. you have the, your typical wheel graph, just the the cycle with a point in between connecting through spokes, and then another single point outside where the the uh, CN connects to all of those. Okay. It doesn't connect to the other K1. Oh, oh. So it's a bike wheel. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, spokes. yeah, because the yeah, spokes yeah, coming yeah. out the other side. Yeah. Never thought of it that way. <laughs> okay. So so now you can have a three-dimensional picture instead of just a planar picture in your head. Well, yeah, in my head, I, I will still draw it on a piece of paper as a... One with the as out, a planar one, inside, one. one outside. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that will be slightly easier for me to deal with. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... It, and I don't know. I've always thought constructivist mathematics is a lot more playful because, I mean, well, to me, one of the important things to play has always been a building of a sort. I've I've always found building things up, even if they're just thoughts, to be a to be a very playful thing. I don't know. Somebody else. That's can... non-constructivist, right? Building up the thoughts. But is... building up the thought. But I mean, like building building it as an actual thing in my head. So like yeah. like doing like the wheel graph, but instead of writing on a piece of paper, actually just labeling all the vertical or all the all the edges in my head. Mm-hmm. So I guess technically I'm not constructing it, but it's but I'm trying to do the proof through a constructive method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somebody else can argue that that non-constructivists can be just as playful. It's just I've never felt it to be as such. Well, I I've definitely like I there was a period of time I I just where I felt like I had done too much non-constructive math. And so for a long time, I'd prove things existed, but, they, you know, they, for all, I mean, yes, you've shown it exists, but you don't know what it is. You don't, you can't, like, point it out. It exists, there it is. Um, so, uh, set theory? Yeah, no, no, no offense yeah, yeah, yeah. to any other person sitting here right now, but that's set theory. And so then, then I had to go do something that felt, felt more real or something, like, like, uh, there was, there was... Fluid one... dynamics equations? <laughs> well, actually, I went and, and opened up photoshop and started drawing <laughs> pictures because then when i was done i had a picture and i could look at it look i made this i made this it's it's right here oh uh, yeah so and then I, and then another year i avoided the problem by taking a sculpture class um, because you you create things you come oh, out yeah. of there holding objects <laughs> that very much exist <laughs> i don't know do you ever get that problem dr burke or doug uh, see, <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's natural. We, we both had you for a class yeah. before, so it's, it's happened. I'm sorry. I do, and I like to, you know, I like to play around with Mathematica and, and number theory, or maybe Sage. Now, maybe I'll figure that out. You know, oh, things you can compute, yeah. and yeah. Uh, have you have you ever just gotten? Like to the point where like I need to go do something that's not math. <laughs> like I need to go build a bookshelf or because I I've gotten to that point. I literally right. built so many bookshelves, enormous bookshelves, yeah. and then I just had to buy more books. And <laughs> that's that's a, that's a whole separate problem. Yeah, I do get to that, and I've built my share of bookshelves <laughs> and uh, my share of strawberry buildings. And, yeah. Oh, strawberry buildings! I haven't Ooh. built any of those in a while. I, I what is this? Uh, well. You, you take straw bales and you just construct. Imagine straw bales as Legos. Okay. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, I have. I have done that. Then. Yeah. That right. lost. That lost some of its fun uh, after I started selling straw bales and had to haul them around all day. They're heavy. Oh yeah, and they, they're really scratchy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially. I mean, even the rope that you use on those things is scratchy. 
Yeah, I, I for the most part the the house I built was straw bale. My my dad used to live on a farm. He was renting a house that was on a farm, but the farm was owned by a massive corporation or whatever. Um, and they had they had you know big like sheds full of full of the straw bales, and they were kind of in lines or something. And so it, and, and it turned it into like a maze or something. Oh. So I turned made a straw bale maze by mm-hmm. by moving you know a couple things from the lines and. And and then and then you can like try to like work your way. They're they're all at about high, high level. They yeah. stack them pretty high. Oh yeah. Um, and so so I I didn't make a house, but <laughs> you still played around and stroke. Yeah. Yeah. They're also really fun to drop kick piles of them over. Okay, I'm apparently not a constructivist. I'm a destructivist. <laughs> uh, but speaking of say mazes, mazes are also it can also be uh, rewritten as math as play. Uh, in the algorithms class I'm taking right now, we just saw uh, literally a maze translated into a graph. In, in, into graph as in a graph theoretical graph, not a plot. And there you could uh, if just take the regions that can be reached. So define them all as discrete regions within the maze itself. And then you can uh, define them as regions and then draw edges between each of the regional vertices if there is a path that can connect them. And through that, you can actually use that method to solve a maze that would begin at any point in the maze, have a, you know, a movable entrance, okay. entrance movable exit mm-hmm. type maze. And you could actually uh, define that through a graph theory. Yeah. And okay. so then you just would follow the, and if you want the shortest path, that's that one's even easier. You, you uh, would use a shortest path algorithm uh, in you know in graph theory you know find the shortest path between any vertices and then you can define that recursively down to finding mm-hmm. the shortest path inside of all of the single regions you know there's there's a there's either a professor here at UNLV or a doctoral student or something who's who one of one of his or her I can't remember research uh, research things is using labyrinth these like the paper mazes as a teaching tool um and then, for what there's, there's a book at, at our bookstore here and you can pick it up and it's it's called 101 ways to incorporate labyrinths into into your teaching and do you remember what any of the ways were um well there was one that was there was one that was i don't remember what the purpose was but they said make a labyrinth out of out of tape on the floor and blindfold people and have them go through barefoot so that they can just feel their way around and that was supposed to get at something you know different different and i uh, i don't know teaching I, people what it's like to be blind like, i I, I, I could see that i personally think that labyrinths are one of the worst teaching tools because like like even a word search is more useful uh or, or crosswords <laughs> you know those are those are the ones that are always like associated the labyrinths crosswords well, word searches it but, how about how about a video game that is a labyrinth that is is a ridiculously hard one but Clues will pop up, and in order to get, in order to be able to understand the clues, you have to, you know, do some research in whatever topic it's supposed to help you teach. It, teach. I mean, I mean, it's essentially just a normal video game, and just instead of killing people, you're going to be taking, you know, clues that pop up. I, I could see that as one way, but I mean, that's not using just a paper labyrinth. I, other than the idea of turning it into a recursive graph theory algorithm, I can't see much use know. for a maze I mean, in a it, classroom. It sounded, it sounded interesting at the very least i don't know i i didn't uh, get a chance to read it all the way through but it's you know it's written by it's written by a unlv professor or something so uh, maybe it has merit 
<laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that that is the person who is who is actually officially an employee. Uh, <laughs> just want to stress that that was neither neither of the uh, graduate students. <laughs> and oh, and there's I'm sure that there's plenty of other things that we can go into, but I think that we're going to uh, call it an episode there. And uh, you can email us. Please email us. We, we'd love to hear some topic suggestions, uh, uh, topic suggestions, praise or hatred for the podcast. Just want to know that you guys are listening. So email us at combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com and check out the blog that will uh, have links to various things that we talk about in each episode as well as uh, updates whenever I find out that I have been extremely wrong and need to issue something uh, stating that I has, said something. Has that and, happened? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Harvard-MIT open access thing. Oh, right. Which, by you the did, way, you did. I, I, I had it reversed. It was Harvard that had the open access. But I'm very, very proud to state as a devoted open access uh, person, I'm currently even wearing a Creative Commons t-shirt that states that I love to share. MIT's <laughs> faculty this past week voted unanimously to offer open access to every single article that the faculty writes. Um, and on that note, visit uh, combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com and I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Well, that's it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you want to get a hold of us, please email us at combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com. Also, check out our blog at combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com. This episode has been licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. All the music that you've heard on this podcast is from SP12. If you like what you hear, go check them out at opsound.org. Thank you for listening.